Welcome to episode eight of Boxing Royalty. I'm your host, Umar Ahmed, and I'm joined, as always, by Oscar Bevis. Obviously, again this week, we're not going to have a, a review part. It's just so quiet at the moment. Um, but there are a few fights to preview in, in the coming weeks, and uh, there, is a, there is a fight on ITV here in the UK um, from the States coming our way. Uh, super middleweight fight between Jose Uzcatsky and Caleb Plant. Obviously, James DeGale had the IBF belt um, and vacated. His mandatory was jo- uh, Jose Uzgatsky. And uh, we've obviously seen him in a couple of high-profile fights, the Darrell fights, really, um, where the first one ended in a lot of controversy, uh, disqualification for Uzgatsky. But then we saw something after the fight, um, a member of Team Darrell punching uh, Uzgatsky, which was just bizarre. <laughs> um and then, obviously, he, he, he got the win over uh, Darrell in the rematch. And uh, he's facing Caleb Plant this weekend. Um, have you seen much of them, Oscar? Either of them? Um, of Plant, just the Medina fight. He beat Medina on points about a year ago, I think. Um, his style was quite impressive in terms of that it's, I'd say, fan-friendly. He's quite entertaining. But he doesn't look like he's the biggest puncher some, you know, he, I'm not sure his record for knockouts, but he didn't look like the biggest puncher or like he was ever going to take Medina. Out. Medina is, should we say, past it. Um, who's Cat's guy? Yeah, I've seen a couple of times. I saw the two Darrell fights, um, and a couple of years ago, there was a loss. I cannot remember who's who, but I watched it, and you know, he's a different fighter to that now. I think Plant going into this is a massive, massive underdog. Um, if you're going to not fight for a year to jump in with who's Cat's guy is probably not the best idea. Um, I think he was pretty much been forced to take it in the fact that he's mandatory and the IBF are normally quite strict with mandatories. Um, yeah, like I say, he's definitely the underdog. He's pr- probably going to have to pull something, pluck something out of the ordinary if he's going to go and beat who's Cat's guy I hope for his sake he isn't overlooking him because, like I said, although he's the underdog, I've seen a few interviews in Fight Week where he's saying, look, I'm looking to win and I'm looking to unify. So Plant might want to take advantage of that possibly, but I, I can't see past Uzzikatsuka. I think if it's not going to, you know, he could knock him out. He has a potential. He's heavy-handed, Uzzikatsuka. But if he's not, it seems to me on paper like a bit of a one-sided beatdown, possibly on like a wide scorecard sort of situation. But... Look, what's to lose for Plant? He's, like I said, he's the underdog, so why not go in there? Cat's guy's bigger, um, like I said, more heavy-handed, but if you're the underdog, why not go in there and go all out and see what you can do? So it's a big opportunity for him, but yeah, he's Cat's guy for me, really. You mentioned uh, Plant's best win, which is uh, Medina, but to be honest, I think Medina was sort of past it. And there's nothing on, on his record so far to sort of go by with, with Caleb Plant. So he's pretty unknown uh, as a quantity because he's only had eight fights. Uh, no, sorry, 18 fights, not eight fights. And um, as you said, knockouts-wise, I, I can check it now, actually. I don't think he's got many stoppages. Um, oh, he's got 10. He's got 10 KOs. So I mean, even if we are... To look at the stoppages, if we are to look at 
like we said, he hasn't really stepped up, so we're not really sure who, who he's been knocking out. No, I mean, no way. a couple of them, well, not a couple, four or five were in the first round, so probably sort of your typical sort of cab driver opponent in them sort of fights. But he, he's got quick hands and uh, he has got a few knockouts on his record, so we'll see how good he is. As you say, Utskat's guy is definitely a favourite. He looks a bit of a killer, to be honest. Um, now, if he does sort of secure that, that vacant IBF title, then people might start fighting him. But where he didn't have a title before, he's like, what, what is the point of fighting this gets guy? Um, and I don't really blame James DeGale for, for vacating because he's to the back end of his career and he, he needs the big paydays now, uh, which, he, which he's obviously doing. He's gone for Chris Eubank Jr. and he's looking for a potential George Grosery match after that. And facing someone like this gas guy who's who's someone who's in the, in the prime of the career for sort of average money, it's just it's just not worth it. Um, you can't really blame him for, for vacating. Obviously, there's going to be fighters out there and people within boxing saying, you never do that, you never vacate your title. But it, it, as everyone says, it's a business and you've got to get out of it as, as much money as possible and, and fighting as gets guy doesn't really make sense for your career. But if he, if he does beat Plant this weekend and, and becomes IBF champion, then people are going to have to start fighting him to, 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 to challenge for a world title or, or to unify. Um, and it, it's good that ITV have put, obviously we mentioned this before on a, on a different podcast, but um, it's good that ITV are, are showing these fights because this wouldn't really get attention otherwise, I don't think, if they didn't pick it up. Yeah, it is good. I mean, it's not the most booming division in terms of if you're to look at the super middleweight division, the gap from the top to the bottom, it's you've got that top rung of fighters, which you could put who's cat's guy in, and then the fringe fighters, where you look at plant, and then below that is quite a steep drop. So if you're going to get a super middleweight fight, you're going to have to get some of the big names. And if who's cat's guys are looking for unifications and big names, putting getting this on ITV is obviously going to help him out. So obviously we've got some uh, good super middleweights over here. So I'm not too sure where that could possibly stand in the future if you're looking at, you know, we've already said about DeGale, I don't, use the word, I don't want to use the word ducking, but in that sort of DeGale avoiding who's Cat's guy. Um, obviously he's fighting Eubanks, there's potential possibly if Eubank comes out on top, I think Callum Smith will be looking elsewhere. Um, but for him in terms of getting it on ITV, yeah, that's good for him and good for us, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not sure what time. I'm guessing it would probably be 3 a.m. Uh, UK time. On... You said the show was at one, so you'd think they'd perhaps show two or three fights before, so about three, yeah. Probably, but it, it's gonna, I think it's on... So it's going to be Monday morning here, because I think it's Sunday night the show's on, which is a bit strange. But yeah, so I think it's going to be Monday morning here. So it's sort of a Sunday night job. Which oh, is, I, I didn't know that, yeah. Well, which is an ideal, really, because... It was going to be tough to get viewers to stay up anyways on the Saturday, but with it being on a Sunday, I don't think that's going to get much attention, to be honest. Um, I don't know why that's been put on uh, over in America on, on a Sunday. It's a bit strange. But anyways, back to the super middle uh, division. Yeah, you was mentioning we've got some good fighters here, but to be honest, I think it, the tide sort of turned 
in terms of obviously we used to have Frotch, De Gale was at his peak, George Groves was at his peak, and yeah, the majority of the, the elite super middleweights were here. His arguments are saying De Gale and Groves are, are nearly well, they are nearly at the end of their careers, but past their best. Uh, Eubank, we still don't know how really good he is. In terms of elite super middles, you're only looking at Callum Smith that you can categorically say at the moment. Whereas um, it looks like Utskatskaya is an elite fighter. Um, and obviously you've got Benavidez as well. Um, but it's not it's not the strongest of divisions, to be honest. It, it used to be much better. But um, see what happens this Sunday night and uh, see if Caleb Plant can pull an up, upset off. I know he tried to get a Degal fight as well. He was very vocal at him with a at press conference with Degal and Truax. I remember that. Um, so he doesn't seem someone who's short of confidence and obviously he's taken on a man that no one really wants to get in the ring with so fair play to him for doing that anyways we might as well talk a little about Degel and Eubank considering we're talking about their division anyways um, what do you make of that fight there seems to be two arguments really either Degel's going to bring sort of his, his his old form back or even 50% of it and still beat Eubank or some are saying Degel's completely shot and that Eubank it's going to be too much in terms of uh, work rate and intensity. Yeah, I mean, you think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. In terms of the fight, when you look at it on paper, I think it's a, it's a really good fight because you're looking at, you know, I've seen things where it's been said that Eubank, when he stepped up, I think it was McDonald possibly, he said when Eubank steps up, he hasn't cut the mustard well. If you're looking at this fight as a step up in which you are from the fights, when you look at the fights, he's won. This is a step up. Um, but the Gales obviously not had the easiest year and a half, shall we say. So that's what makes it intriguing. It's one of them where people are looking at him possibly going, if you don't win here, your career at the top's finished. I do find it quite mad how, you know, the Gale had, for me, one of the one of, if not the fight of the year with Badu Jack. Fantastic fight. I know there was some people saying he lost, some saying he might have nicked it, not many, but, you know, and it came out with a draw, but an amazing fight like that, of course. I think there was a bit of a shoulder problem, possibly, or a wrist problem. Knocked a few of his teeth out, but after a fight like that in America, you'd think, you know, there'd be offers all over on the table. Decided to come back to England, didn't go to plan. And since then, it looked like options were running out, so it's a great opportunity for him. Really, really intriguing fight, and I'm looking forward to seeing Chris Eubank again because I think he, whatever people say about him, he is entertaining. And if he can put to work the talent that we know he has, using that work rate, using those feet and those quick hands, I know people like to take the piss a bit in the show and punching the speed bag a hundred times in ten seconds or whatever. But if he can, you know, that is just a sign of his quick hands in general. I'm not saying that's how boxing works, but that's a sign of his quick hands. If he can use the attributes that we know he has against the Gale that some people are saying, well, actually not some people are saying, he's reaching the back end of his career, then there's potential for Eubank to go and win a massive fight and get a bigger fight because that's what this is all about for those two, winning this fight and getting something bigger. Yeah, we will preview it more in depth when it, when it comes around to fight week. There's a lot to talk about in, in terms of both, especially the Gale he's had a mad career, one of the most decorated fighters, uh, well, boxing really, to, to win a gold 
medal at the Olympics and then two-time world champion. That that's a rarity. So we'll we'll cover it more in depth when it comes around. Anyways, as I said, there's no obviously review section, so we go straight to raw talk section. Could have chosen a lot lot of topics today, to be honest. Um, one of them being the Gail Bank, uh, everything going on with Brooke Khan and Crawford. But we've gone for another one today. It completely shocked me yesterday when I when I saw sort of it being posted on social media about Dylan White potentially uh, headlining Wembley to face Vladimir Klitschko. Um, to completely come out of the blue. What was your sort of reaction when when you when you saw it on social media? Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, you can't not be when you hear the word Klitschko mentioned with any heavyweight, obviously since he's been out of the ring. I think Dillian does need to realise that although, you know, we've said many times on here the extent of his wins and how he deserves a world title shot, he was on talk sports sort of saying about how he thought the Joshua offer was disgusting or the amount he needs to realise he isn't the champion. So I think he needs to realise that and saying he was making less, he would make less money than the Chisora fight. I'm not sure if I believe that in terms of, do I really think that someone like Eddie Hearn's naive enough to just go, well, Dillian White will fight anyone. Let's make him fight the biggest fighter in world boxing earn less than he would against Chisora. I don't think that's what, I think there's more to the situation than that. So I think he needs to realise he's not the champion. And I think he could have gone about that a bit differently. But if you're looking away from Joshua, you're either looking, if you're white, you need Wilder. And the Wilder Fury talk is seems to be building up a bit more for that rematch. You know, Tyson's back in training. I know he likes to keep it anyway, so that's nothing new. Or something that, you know, it's nothing suggesting to us that it's closer, but there's talk of that. So he needs Wilder or Joshua. So for Klitschko, for Klitschko to come out of nowhere... It gives White an option, but I'm not really sure, despite the the name and the potential to have Klitschko on your resume, I'm not really sure it'd do Dillian White any favours, if I'm being honest. I think he should be looking at working as hard as he can. And maybe he's just trying to up the offer for what he's been offered for the Joshua fight, because you know it has been confirmed that he's been offered the Joshua fight. Maybe he's just trying to sort of up his purse or whatever but yeah it was a massive shock and it is exciting and don't get me wrong it's a fight hard watch and we all know it do massive pay-per-view sales but I can't really see the point in it in the fact that you know if Klitschko was to beat White it'd be the end of White and can you really see Klitschko moving on and looking for world titles again is that uh, motivation still there for someone of his age well say he he splatters Dillian White I'm not saying it's going to happen but say he did that then, then why not? Dillian White's number one with two two bodies. He's been linked with world titles for for a while now. Even talk of potentially fighting Fury as well. If if Vladimir Klitschko were to just blast him out in say four or five rounds, a guy who's had such a good run um, on a couple of pay per view shows now, then then you know if Vladimir's still a big name. Uh, I think I think he could get, he could get a world title shot. I think they could sell that Joshua rematch, honestly, because you got to think back as well. 
it was probably one of the best fights we, we've seen in a long time, Joshua Klitschko. So it wasn't even like Joshua went in there and, and made easy work of him. Um, and if Klitschko were to go back to Wembley and, and, and beat Dylan White, I think I think Hearn and, and Sky Sports, they, I think they could sell that Joshua rematch, to be honest. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think it's a doubt of whether they could sell it. I mean, they could sell Klitschko Dave Allen. You know, I think that's the way it works with Sky. When Klitschko's about, I'm sure they could sell him with any top heavyweight. It's just, it's a risk for Dillian White in that no matter how long Klitschko's been out of the ring, we know what he's capable of. You know, and he does keep himself in good shape. He hasn't been enjoying retirement like Madonna has. Do you know what I mean? He's been knuckling down. It seems like he's in the gym every day, so... It's a risk in terms of if White loses to someone who's been out of the ring since that Joshua fight. You know, I know it'd still be there would still be big fights out there for White, but it leaves him in such an awful position. But yeah, I mean, I suppose you know, Klitschko is an animal, and he said he's obsessed with setting records and wanting to win back world titles in the past. And I suppose you could say if he was to beat White, like you say, blast him out in four or five rounds, why not? But I just can't see it being worth the risk for Dillian White. If there was going to be a risk outside of a world title, I think it'd have to be Fury. Yeah, I think the Fury fight would be preferred for Dillian White over the Klitschko fight. But I will say, headlining Wembley against Vladimir Klitschko is an all-time great, obviously. It's not the worst case scenario for Dylan White. I think I think it'd be his his third option, or even fourth, because you you'd want the Joshua fight first, then probably Deontay Wilder, then Fury, then Glitchko. But it's not the end of the world because if you go if you can beat Glitchko headlining at Wembley on box office, then once the Joshua rematch comes about, he's going to have much more bargaining power can say he's been on three pay-per-views in a row, headlined the O2 twice, beat a former world champion and beat a former all-time great. So in that, in that sense, it could actually be beneficial for Dillian White in the long run. But obviously, again, it's another risk that really he shouldn't be having to take because he's, he's, he's taken some of the unnecessary risks already and he's come out of them every time successfully. And yeah, he deserves a Joshua rematch straight away. But we don't live in an ideal world. So with with there only being two two champions on paper, it it's difficult, obviously, to get Dylan White that shot. And I think what Joshua and, and Eddie Hearn want to do is take him to America now and fight Miller and get a bit more exposure, um, sort of on on the design side of things because they fight against Perfect, and I know it. It didn't do great uh, viewing figures. I think they want to grow uh, the Joshua brand in America and also grow the zone at the same time. And, and taking Joshua to America is the obvious thing to do to grow the zone. And the fact that White Klitschko, if that happens, it gives Joshua the chance to fight Miller and then fight Klitschko or White in a rematch. So basically, it gives him two fights until he has to fight either Wilder or Fury rather than just the one. So from I think from Sky and Hearn's perspective, it, it, it's a win-win for them. Obviously from Dylan White, it's not. 
But I mean, I can see a scenario now where you'll have the Wilder Fury match, you'll have Joshua Miller, and you'll have White Klitschko, and that really means you won't see Wilder or Fury in the ring with Joshua until 2020, probably like summertime or the back end of 2020, which is a shame, really, because I think people did have hopes for Wilder or Fury to be in the ring with Joshua this year, so that's a bit of a killer, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that in terms of how it would sort of enable Sky to, I don't want to say milk more money, but have another uh, white Klitschko pay-per-view with the whole zone thing, bring the Joshua brand to America and then give Joshua another fight prior to stepping in with Wilder or Fury, <clears throat> whoever has a WBC belt. I can see that making sense, but you said it's not the worst case scenario for White to headline Wembley against Klitschko, but then it's not the worst case scenario for him to headline against Joshua either, because I, I struggle to see a scenario where he's making more money, whether he's the A-side or not, in the Klitschko fight than the Joshua fight. I think there's no fight out there for him, because when we say he's the B-side in the Joshua fight, you know, he's still going to be making a hell of a lot of money. He's not a B-side going in where people are talking about a 75-25 split. You know, I think if you're talking to Joshua's management team or Eddie Hearn, he would consider that Joshua Fury and Joshua White probably is the same split, that Fury and White are probably both as valuable as each other, uh, which might not be wrong in terms of viewing figures, actually. So when you're looking at the money he'd make from the Joshua fight, I don't see why he wouldn't be jumping at that with both hands if he fully believes he can go in there, knock Joshua out. Because once you've got them belts, you can do what you want. Yeah, I, I hear that. But uh, I guess the reason he, he, he came on TalkSport today and, and sort of slagged the offer off is because th- that's the right thing to do, obviously. Once the first offer's made, you've, you've got to completely sort of act like it was a ridiculous offer, even if it wasn't. So that, you know, once it gets to the second, third, fourth, you actually get a deal a deal that, that's worth, worth it, in, in a sense, to, to go in the ring with Joshua. But... The thing with White is I, I can see him still taking the Klitschko fight. I don't think he's going to... Because what else does he do? If, if Wilder's tied up, if Joshua is sort of insistent in going to America and, and fighting Miller, he's not he's not wanting them to wait around. We've seen that. He's not just going to hang around um, for either Joshua Wilder or Fury. He, he, he'll want Klitschko. The only, the only other thing I can see for him is if Wilder Fury doesn't happen... Which is unlikely. I think. I think that will, even if it's in the states, I think. I think that rematch will happen. Then White can go for, for the Fury fight, but that's still hard to make with obviously one being on on Sky and one fighter being on BT Sport. But it, as I said, it's probably likely that Wilder Fury will happen again. So really, he's got to take it. He's left in sort of a no man's land. But it, yeah, he's got to take the Klitschko fight. One thing he doesn't need to be doing is, you know, I've seen things about fight Ortiz to become the WBC mandatory. Absolutely pointless if you're Dillian White to fight the mandatory or to fight Pulev to become the IBF mandatory. Let's face it, the IBF mandatory is basically Dillian White because Dillian White and Joshua can be made at the click of a finger. It can be made easier than the Pulev fight. So he doesn't need to be IBF mandatory. Um, You know, he's apparently been WBC number one and then been you know they've ordered uh, Wilder Brazil instead so 
WBC have messed him about a bit. So why would he fight Ortiz or Pulev? So, you know, actually over the last 10 minutes, I've started to see why that would make a lot more sense. This is exactly why I'm saying Klitschko isn't the worst case scenario. But as you said, there's no point taking fights like Pulev, Ortiz, Povetkin. I've seen Povetkin calling out Dylan White. They're not huge money fights. And you're already ranked number one with two governing bodies. And as you said, he can get into into the Joshua fight with Eddie Hearn and Sky like that, a click of a finger. So, there, yeah, as you said, there is no point taking them fights. And if Klitschko, well, we don't even know if Klitschko's coming back. We don't know if it's, it's just a rumour. But say that he, he does come back, then obviously that is, that is an option that he has to consider. And as I said, it wouldn't be the worst case scenario because it is a huge money fight and it's going to raise his profile much more. And if he can, you know, he's still Vladimir Klitschko in it. And, and when you look back at the history books, he can, he can, he can, he can say that he beat, he beat Klitschko. So I, I don't think it is a worst case scenario. If Klitschko isn't coming back, then he really is stuffed. Um, if That's if they take Joshua to America and fight Miller and Klitschko doesn't come back, then why is in a, in a real spot of bother? Because, as you said, there's no point fighting the likes of Puda, Povetkin, Brazil, Ortiz. Not not now, once he's done so much hard work. Um, anyways, if if Klitschko does come back and it is white Klitschko, how do you see it going? It's tough simply because of how long he's been out of the ring. Like I said before, he keeps himself so fit. So, but in terms of, I wouldn't know myself, but every boxer says stepping in the ring is so different to just, you know, even the hardest of spars. So, it depends what sort of game Klitschko would want to play because it seemed as if White was playing the long game against Shizora and it sort of backfired until he knocked him out. You know, he was losing on the scorecards. He wasn't boxing brilliantly, but I don't ever think he was in any trouble. Depends what sort of game plan he wants to take to Klitschko. I think Klitschko probably sees it as a winnable fight as someone who, you know, if he can get the rangy jab off and avoid getting into, you know, getting in close range and letting White get them sort of massive hooks off and he can keep his distance. I think he might see it as a fight where he could not comfortably win, comfortably win because White would never let anyone comfortably beat him. But I think he could see it as a fight where he could actually manage his way through it fairly simply in his head. So, I'm pretty sure the bookies would probably have it down as Dillian White, but I genuinely do see that as a 50-50. If White was to go out there and try and, you know, you said before, Klitschko to blast him in four or five rounds, if White was to come out with full intent of taking Klitschko out quickly, then I think Klitschko could be in trouble because I think if he was to take a shot, you know, it doesn't matter, age will get on your side at some point. And if you are to take a shot at the age that Klitschko is, no matter how fit you are, you know, physically, that is going to drain you. And White is a massive puncher. We've seen that. So, it could go one or two ways, but I don't want to be a sit on the fence, but I genuinely cannot decide. It just depends how they both approach the fight. But it is winnable for Klitschko, believe it or not. Despite the fact you're talking about someone who's been so active and got so, had four or five top level wins, you know, wins that, in past generations would have been equivalent to wins good enough to win you world titles, unify belts. He's had wins that good. You're talking about someone coming off of a two-year layoff gap who potentially 
could beat him. So intriguing at the moment. You know, until it's decided, until I've seen a bit more, I'm just, I am going to sit on the fence. I'm going to be one of them. No, I hear that to be fair. He's a tough one to call, as you said, because he's been out in the ring so long. And, he, and he obviously, the last two fights he lost. So it, it's not it's not easy to call that one or make an assessment on it, really. So fair enough. And uh, on that note, we're going to wrap up for episode eight here. So thank you, Oscar, for your time. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And uh, make sure you tune in to episode nine next week where we'll be reviewing uh, Utskat Sky Plant and we'll be looking forward to another ITV fight, Pacquiao Broner. But for now, thank you for tuning in and uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud at Pod for Twitter and just type in Naughty for SoundCloud and we're going to be launching on iTunes soon. I think maximum a couple of weeks, but... Uh, just check our Twitter page. Um, we'll announce when we're on uh, iTunes. Thank you very much. <laughs>